This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Leading off, though, a key vote related to Hamilton's LRT project now scheduled for next Wednesday. The latest delay in regards to the project's updated environmental assessment is the result of a motion uh, yesterday by uh, Ward 8 Councillor Terry Whitehead, and he says holding the vote until the next council meeting is going to give councillors around the table time to digest the nine hours of public delegations that they went through yesterday and is going to ensure that fresh minds will be making the decision. Now, a no vote next week could obviously stall the project. Would it be the death knell? Well, that remains to be seen. There is some undecided councillors. We've had a poll on LRT not too, uh, not too down the road. That shows that uh, most people, at least according to this poll, are uh, not supportive of LRT. Many pointing to the fact that that poll, though, was rather skewed because uh, only 4% of millennials, those between 18 and 34, were actually surveyed in that poll. So there's a lot of push and pull. There's still some undecided votes to be cast around the council table. But as we did yesterday and as we did the day before that, and did we do it the day before that? Probably. We're going to do a for and against LRT discussion here in hour number one. And we'll begin with Ward 4 Councillor Sam Arullo, who joins us on the Scott Thompson Show. Sam, how are you? I'm doing well, Rick, and yourself? Not too bad. Thanks for joining us today. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've recovered from yesterday's marathon meeting. Yeah, all good. So what are your thoughts on yesterday's delegations? You heard from a plethora, an armada, a flotilla of for and against LRT. Well, basically, a lot of it was a duplication of what we heard a few weeks back. But having said that, it's always good to uh, get input uh, on both sides of the equation. Uh, we're at a situation now where it is becoming very serious in that if we can't move forward with the environmental assessment amendment, and, and keep in mind, this is an amendment to an environmental assessment that was already approved in 2011. So we're not asking for a new environmental assessment we're asking for an amendment so having said that if we can't get that approval it does um, put us in a situation where staff have indicated that they will need to go to metrolinx and ask if it's even worth continuing to pursue so it is a vital vital vote and not not only stalls the actual project it could kill the project because of the time frames that we have in place with respect to the RFP or bidding for the project itself. Well, that's that's obviously not a good sign for LRT supporters. Um, would it be a definite death knell, though, if if next week that that tweaked EA, the amendment to the environmental assessment, uh, and and the vote at council is no, and which forces staff to go, as you said, to Metrolinx and, and ask for any sort of extension or or uh, or get a glimpse of whether it's worthwhile to per, to pursue? Would that be the death knell? Well, basically, they'd have to ask whether it would be actually whether it would be in our interest to pursue any longer, only because we have a time frame or a schedule in place based on a memorandum of agreement. Who some people now believe is a memorandum of disagreement. Um, so we had a time frame in place. We had approvals in place. Again, this is not a new approval we're seeking, but an amendment to an existing approval. Hence, the frustration surrounding this. So. A lot of people don't realize that this project represents more 
infrastructure than it does the train. Eighty percent of this project is related to uh, sewers, roads, sidewalks, water lines, hydro, cable, telecommunications, fiber. It, it, it is really remarkable how we can turn our backs on this hard infrastructure when we're faced with a $3 billion overall deficit in infrastructure and a $195 million compounded annual deficit. So we're at a point now, and hopefully we're not going to be at a point of no return, but we're getting very close because we have a schedule that's already built that we're attempting to comply with based on approvals that were already granted by the same council. We're chatting with uh, Sam Marula, City Councilor, Ward 4 here in the City of Hamilton on the Scott Thompson Show on AM 900 CHML. Rick, in for Scott today. Sam, were you prepared to vote on that revised EA yesterday, or did you have an inkling that the so-called death by delay would continue? No, we have to vote. And uh, I I didn't support the deferral because I I believe that the deferral is playing into that death by delay scenario. Having said that, um, we're in a position where we have all the information. Some people might not have uh, the courage to move forward uh, now, but everyone needs to move forward. So, frankly, we need to, to, to uh, have a plan in place because in the event that um, there are the, the gang of nine or ten or whatever, however there, how many there are, uh, decide that they're going to kill this project, we're going to have to be in a, work something out with the province to try to salvage something. And at this point, we have no plan B. So I'm not quite sure how we lose a billion dollars of investment in the city the thousands of jobs associated with this investment in the face of a $3 billion infrastructure deficit and the compounded annual deficit. So, um, frankly, I'm, I'm somewhat beside myself that we're even talking about saying no to a billion-dollar investment and the economic positive impact that we'll have on this particular city. It is mind-boggling that we would reject a billion dollars of investment in hard infrastructure, hard infrastructure that we actually need in order to move forward as a city in a sustainable manner. Earlier uh, today on the Bill Kelly show, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing what uh, Councillor Donna Skelly said, but basically said, you know, the plan B would would be, you know, we, we'd go back to the province and say, hey, let's let's just get more buses. Yeah, and then the buck twenty-five will get you a cup of coffee because you have to understand one thing: we don't have any liberal seats in this city. So the fact that they granted us 100% of the, of the actual cost is mind-boggling. You know how most, most governments are criticized for being uh, focused in on only those areas in parochial where they have seats. The Liberals have given this money to an area where it is presently controlled by New Democrats. It speaks volumes about the merit of the project rather than the politics of the project. So we give that money back. We're at the bottom of the list. And do you think, even remotely, anybody's going to trust us in the future to deal with us in any way, shape, or form, whether it's a bureaucrat in the, at the province or a politician? Because apparently, when we get into a memorandum of agreement, we break our word. And that's what this council is planning on doing, is breaking their word. That is a question not only of intelligence, but of integrity. 
Sam Rula is our guest, Board 4 City Councilor here in Hamilton on the Scott Thompson Show on AM 900 CHML. We're talking about yesterday's a plethora of delegations at City Hall and a big vote coming up next Wednesday at City Council uh, to uh, approve or uh, dismiss the uh, amended environmental assessment. Uh, if yesterday's any example, the LRT file has created a deep divide in this community. Is there a deep divide on council as well? Well, there is, but one that's been orchestrated or created for no other reason but political gain. See, a, a vote against the LRT is a vote for increased taxes in the suburban areas and in the mountains. There is a direct correlation between the LRT being built and assessment growth in the lower city, which then decreases taxes in the on the mountain and in the suburban area, as we've seen over the last few years as a result of that assessment growth. So rather than having a group of councillors try to um, create awareness about the benefits of this project, they're simply taking the easy way out and saying no. So if you sit, and everyone I've spoken to, my parents live on a mountain, they get it. They're looking forward to this project increasing assessment growth in the lower city and decreasing their taxes. I have sisters that live in Ancaster. They get it because someone has actually approached them, shown them what the actual facts are, rather than the alternative facts that are driving this, this particular destructive movement. What are some of the more glaring alternative facts that you heard yesterday? Uh, there really weren't any new... There's no new information, uh, to, be, to be quite frank. We've been working on this for nearly 11 years. So, in essence, we've had hundreds, if not thousands of hours of discussion surrounding this plan. Some people want to portray it as a fly-by-night plan. If you consider over a decade worth of work and thousands of hours of fly-by-night plan, at the end of the day, I I have nothing to say to you because you frankly don't grasp the issue for what it is. You're trying to create an issue for what you think it should be for whatever motive you may have. Last one for you. There's there's a group of councillors who have not shown all their cards, the the undecided, if you will. Is there an effort behind closed doors to pull them one way or another on this LRT? Always, but I'll be honest with you. Like the vote last night, the deferral vote speaks volumes. I think, and uh, in, in many ways, that vote represents where this vote ultimately is headed. Also, with respect to the denial. Of, of the Bay Street stop, which had no impact whatsoever on the envelope that we were going to focus in on developing the line, speaks volumes, because why would they not support the Bay Street stop if they had every intention of supporting the project itself? I predicted two years ago that we were headed towards where we are now, based on my long-standing relationship with a number of my colleagues, but more importantly, understanding the political arena and i can assure you that we are exactly where i thought we would be unfortunately but that's the reality and now we're at the 11th hour and sheer um, sheer will and maybe hard work might get us over the hump i'm hoping but we need people to call their counselors we need people to understand and and research this project for what it is rather than what they're being told it's about this is about sustainability. This is about infrastructure. This And just look at the budget. 80% of that budget has to do with roads, sidewalks, sewers, cable, 
telecommunications, gas lines, and 20% has to do with, with public transit. You can tell where the priorities are in any budget by where the vast majority of that money is going. 80% of it's going to that hard infrastructure. And when you tie that into our pressures, it's a, it's a remedy. It's not a problem. It's not a challenge. It's not an obstacle. It's a remedy for, for our problems and our, and our challenges. The comment, uh, you know, people need to count, call their counselors. It sounds like you're not very optimistic come next Wednesday's vote. As I said publicly, I, I'm not, and I haven't been for, for about two years now. And I've tried everything and I've thrown everything in the kitchen sink and, and to try and move this thing forward as well as the mayor, uh, Councillor Farr, Councillor Green, Councillor Johnson, and, and, and God bless Councillor Ferguson, who up in Ancaster is probably getting the most resistance but sees it as, a, as a, because it was business acumen, understands this project for what it is rather than what some simpletons are making it out to be. Sam, appreciate the time. Good luck next Wednesday. Thank you, Rick. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Big vote yesterday did not happen. It was deferred. It was delayed. Motion by Ward 8 Councillor Terry Whitehead to say, hey, hold the fort here. We've heard from a a battalion of people here at Hamilton City Hall. we got to sleep on this. We have to reconvene next Wednesday at City Council and then cast our ballots, make our voices heard, I guess, once and for all on this amended environmental assessment. Joining us now is Ward 8 Councillor Terry Whitehead here on the Scott Thompson Show on AM 900 CHML. Terry, how are you? Great to be with you. Thanks for joining us today. So we, we have... Um, uh, just another marathon, grueling session yesterday in which we heard from both sides of the equation for and against the LRT project. Uh, number one, have you recovered? <laughs> well, we had public works meeting this morning. You never recover from that. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you that uh, what took place yesterday is a reflection of what is happening in this community. It's a very uh, divided community uh and clearly a divided council uh so i think what happened last night was a prudent decision uh the reason i moved the motion uh to council is uh one um it's not delaying it because whatever decision we had made yesterday still would have had to be ratified at council anyway right right so let's be clear to the listeners there's no delay here second piece is um tired minds don't make great decisions so did you get a sense last night that whether it was emotions or, or people were drained, did you get that sense that, you know, now's not the time to, to make this decision? Well, you know, experience is uh, everything. And we've gone through these processes before, whether it was a stadium debate or other debates, where we spent a long time, uh, a long day listening to uh, delegations. And I can t- tell you, when we started getting into the debate around 11 o'clock at night, the rancor, the emotion, uh, the, the disjointness of the uh, arguments, it was very clear uh, that clear minds uh, were not at play. So last night and yesterday's decision uh, is really, this is too important an issue uh, not to have a fresh and clear mind and digest everything we heard through that day, as well as the answers to the many questions that were asked of staff. Uh, this is the most prudent uh, approach to making an informed decision with a clear mind. 
Obviously, there's uh, a group of counselors, there's a group of community residents who are for this project. They want to see it uh, come about, they want to see it push forward. On the other side, there's a group of counselors and a uh, you know a group of uh, community residents who do not want this to proceed. They're seeing uh, positives in other things that we can do. At this stage of the game, and, and this has nothing to do with you know the, the motion last night or, or, the, or the vote next week, but... I, I get the sense that no one's going to change their mind at this point. So there's this group of undecided counselors, or at least a group of counselors that haven't really shown all their cards. This coming week, how much pressure is that group going to be under? Well, I think there's tremendous pressure. I mean, this is a, a significant issue, and I believe that every counselor, and I want to make this clear to your listeners, every counselor, regardless of what side of this uh, um, project you're on, uh this is weighing heavily on their minds. They are truly trying to make the best decision on behalf of the uh, taxpayers of this community. So uh, it, it weighs on everybody's mind. I can also tell you that um, uh, if we could have a, a do-over, this would not be the plan before us. I can tell you that this plan, especially after going up to uh, Kitchener-Waterloo and looking at how they instituted their plan there, um, I mean, it was like me walking to the big leagues. So, uh, what what are they doing that we're not doing? Our plan is probably the most in, uh, obstructive, intrusive plan that you possibly can have on any road network. Uh, at Kitchener Waterloo did everything they can could uh, to balance the approach between vehicle traffic and the LRT systems, and even through their downtowns, they split off the. Uh, into single rails to have the least impact on those uh, business streets. Uh, so they they did an incredible job. And the other thing you need to know, and I you know all the research I have done, uh, there isn't a LRT system that I could find that has been successful. And there's a lot of failures out there. So for whatever people think, there's a lot of failed systems across North America and regards to LRT. And failed as in uh, not producing the economic lift that is being promised with this project? Oh, not just, uh, first of all, uh, that's a fallacy in the economic uplift. Uh, many studies will show you that you may get a shifting of investment along that corridor, but you don't get a net economic lift for the city. It's just a shifting of where investments may go. But those investments are coming here anyway, based on many other factors. So the real issue here is, is it a transit solution? And uh, I can tell you that not going to Eastgate, is a fundamental flaw in this plan. When you look at every other successful LRT system, as Kitchener-Waterloo probably will be, they go from a destination location to a destination location. Eastgate is material to this plan to have even a chance of success. There are two reasons for that. One, it's a destination location. You can put a park and ride there. But more importantly, the connectivity to the suburbs, the connectivity to the mountain, the connectivity to the blast network that could feed the system to make it viable. And I firmly believe when you take a look at provincial programs that have been funded to date on LRT, 19 kilometers in Kitchener-Waterloo, they just announced, uh, I think it's over 19 kilometers, full 100% funding for BRT in New York. You're looking at the Elgin crossover, 19 kilometers. And yet our original plan was 13 kilometers. And now we're funding an 11-kilometer project. They took a spur line, truncated the original plan from Eastgate, justified by putting this spur line in, canceled the spur line, 
and haven't reinstituted the original plan to Eastgate. So when I look at the province of Ontario and I look at the city of Hamilton, I say, hang on, how could the province for three kilometers not see this through? And I really believe the pressure's on them to understand that they're treating Hamilton unfairly when it comes to a sustainable and viable plan to see us into the future. Councillor Terry Whitehead is our guest here on the Scott Thompson Show on AM 900 CHML. Rick in for Scott today. So, and I know this is the if game, but if LRT went to Eastgate, would your position change? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, like I said, if I, uh, I use this metaphor, I don't know if it works well, but if I uh, was going to a high-end shoe store uh, and I walked out with only one shoe, uh, that wouldn't work very well. Uh, I think that this plan that we're dealing with here today is uh, a, a failed plan without Eastgate in it. And, you know, when people say and suggest, well, you know, this going to the first phase council will get to Eastgate. Look, you only got one crack at this. There is no guarantee that there's going to be these kinds of dollars available in the, in, in the near future or even the far future. So we really have to deal with the reality today. And the reality today is we have an opportunity to make sure the experience of Hamilton and higher order transit is a good experience, a positive experience, and it creates vitality and sustainability. The plan as it is right now in front of us, I don't believe will deliver that. With uh, a GO station set for the East End, um, obviously you're not too confident that any kind of extension to Eastgate would be possible. Well, I'm not saying that. I I think that... uh, and what your listeners need to understand is this process is not just about, um, you know, going through the uh, the bureaucracy and the reports and, and making decisions where train stations or, or, or stops will go. Uh, this really is an ongoing negotiation. I firmly believe that the province is paying attention. I firmly believe that the province has an obligation to fund a responsible and viable plan. They're doing it everywhere else. Why would they refuse to do that here in the city of Hamilton? We're chatting with Ward 8 Councillor Terry Whitehead here on the Scott Thompson Show on AM 900 CHML. Rick in for Scott today. Um, the optics around a no vote um, probably is not going to fly too well in in, uh, in Queen's Park. Um, if there is a no vote next Wednesday, how do you think the province reacts? Well, I mean, I'm, don't forget, I work for cabinet ministers and being both at the provincial and federal level. And I can tell you that there's always this uh, nuance, regardless of the politics, you know, the uh, the icing and the candle, uh, that uh, when you distribute provincial taxpayers' money, and that's from every city, we're the fourth, I think, fourth largest city in Ontario, uh, we have a right for a per, uh, per capita spending. There's a thing called equity. They have a responsibility to ensure that they treat all cities fairly and equitably. So I, there's no question in my mind uh, that they understand that. They understand that Hamilton has money in the pot. The question is, how do we tap into it and how, how we spend it to get the best benefit? So I'm, I, I'm, I'm not uh, one of those people that are bought into the fact that uh, uh, the billion dollars goes and Hamilton gets nothing. That's garbage. The reality is uh, that's not how government works. They understand the importance of Hamilton in the uh, Ontario economy. They understand the importance of Hamilton as a city. Uh, and clearly they're not going to abandon us. Now, having said all that, we have an opportunity here, and I hope provincial members are listening. The plan that was supported by council in the last term of council and the term before that went from McMaster to Eastgate. That was not by accident. 
It was they, the province of Ontario, that truncated the original plan. They funded the original plans in every other community. All we're asking is the province to step up the plate, recognize that the viability of this plan is them to add the additional dollars needed to get us to Eastgate. And for your listeners, when they canceled the spur line, the spur line was estimated to cost about $120 million. So currently, we have $120 million sitting in the bank. So we just need to make up the differential to get us that over the line and land this plane. Uh, we had Councillor Sam Rula on uh, before the news at 1230, and he's intimating he's not too confident that th- there's going to be a yes vote next Wednesday. If the vote is no, how confident are you that the city of Hamilton can then go to Metrolinx and go to the provincial government and say, we've said no, but we still want this, but we want it this sort of way? Do you think well, they'd be receptive to that? Yeah, well, I mean, Bram, uh, Brampton uh, said no. And my understanding that the, annou- the new announcement in regards to their new plan is imminent. So when people think that the money it just disappears out of the pot, the way they created the funding was they sort of, they they basically determine the needs of the of the different cities. They uh, uh, they provide the dollars accordingly, based more or less on per capita spending. So for anyone to suggest that the pot disappears and the commitment to uh, f- uh, providing funds to the city of Hamilton is not there is just being naive. The reality is the money is there. The question is what and how do we, uh, uh, you know, how do we get the money? What what is the process in getting it, and what do we spend it on? I firmly believe my first priority is uh, to have a plan uh, that do not doesn't put the taxpayers of this community at risk. Right now, the ridership on the B line, and I want to make this clear, Rick, so everyone knows, is only 444 peak hour peak direction. If you go to my website, you'll see uh, a live stream clip from Dave Dixon, the former uh, HSR director, indicate you should even look at transit, sorry, um, LRT until you hit 2,000 peak hour peak direction. The estimates from our consultants as of yesterday is that we would even hit 1,500 by 2031. So if you don't have the ridership, who picks up the tab? The taxpayers of this community. And when you talk about the economic uplift, and I want to focus that on a bit, it's complicated, but let's just say this. There's many reports that would strongly suggest there's no net financial gain to the community. And when uh, the mayor goes out there and suggests there's a wash, that's garbage as well. It, there's no reality. There's, it's no, there's no evidence. There's no empirical data. There's no study. There's nothing that would suggest that's the case. So right now you've got a group out there that's trying to sell something. And they're going to put every positive spin they possibly can and, you know, power to them. But I think there's responsible counsel around the table that needs to cut through the sales job, get right into the facts, and ensure that we understand the benefits and the risks. We're chatting with uh, Ward 8 Councillor Terry Whitehead here on the Scott Thompson Show on AM 900 CHML. Uh, Sam brought up a good point, and this has been brought up before, the massive amount of infrastructure that we would get through this project. Um, a no vote could erase all that, although you're you're pretty optimistic that we could still get the project we want. Uh, but what if we don't get the project we want and, and we lose out on all that infrastructure money? Yeah, well, you know, that's been as well. Um, Gary Moore indicated very clearly yesterday uh, when he threw the 150... So basically he indicated that we pretty well have new pipe right along that whole corridor. So there's still 80 years life in that pipe. So that means that 
there's only 20 years used of it. So we're placing pipe that's got 80 years left in it. The actual value, when you tw- uh, discount that by the 20%, the 150, you're talking about a $50 million benefit. And let's be clear, that's pipe that's still slated to last another 80 years. So I'm not exactly sure how this is being spun, but I, I know that you know it started as a transit solution. Then it became an economic solution. And of course, the Canadian Urban Institute uh, did a study and put the economic uplift argument to bed, basically saying that you're, you know you may get one percent increase in assessment well after the imp- uh, implementation of LRT. But they also suggested, and that was from McMaster to Eastgate. This is going from McMaster to the Queenston Circle. And the big tax generator along that corridor that they had identified was the Scott Park Precinct. And as you know, and many of your listeners will know, that is no longer going to be used for uh, uh, development because they're building a rec center and and a school there. They don't generate taxes. So the uplift uh, that has talked about, even the 1% that is very modest, is even questionable in itself. So those are the those are the facts, and and the general public needs to understand and know what the actual facts are. And so my job is not just to buy into the unicorn and blue sky. It's also to understand uh, all the risk. And you weigh those risks with the benefits, and you make an informed decision. Right now, my job is to make sure that there's plenty of people out there doing the spin on the on the benefits, but no one's out there talking about the risk. And I feel I have a, a fiduciary responsibility to this community to ensure they understand what those risks are. For sure. Do you uh, get the sense you have enough votes around the table to, um, uh, to to send this back to say, hey, we, we need to rework this? Well, I, I'm confident that there's uh, 9 to 10 councillors that have real concern because they've seen the paperwork, they've gone through the paperwork, they understand the risk. And so to suggest that 10 councillors unilaterally don't have a vision for the city is just absolutely nonsense. What they're looking at is the best interest of this community in respect to uh, return on investment. We believe that we need to invest in transit. We believe we need to have a comprehensive transit system in the city of Hamilton. What shape and mode is what is being debated here? And I think that there's a lot of people wondering if the LRT, as this plan is laid out today, is one that is viable and meets the needs of this community, and that is still questionable. Supporters of the project have included some, you know, big entities in town, ArcelorMittal DeFasco, McMaster University, that's an obvious one, Hamilton Tiger Cats coming out the other day with a letter of support from owner Bob Young. What does a no vote say to those pillars in this community as well as all the supporters in this community? So there's people that, uh, and, and this happens whether it's Red Hill Expressway or, or whatever the big issue is, you will have people, I call the establishment, uh, that uh, jump on the bandwagon because it's an investment. And it just sounds like good news. They, they don't have the level of reports that every council that sits around the table have in front of them. And some of them are, many of them are provincially funded or, 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 or tapping into provincial funds. So certainly they don't want to upset the very people they're relying on. So uh, I, I firmly believe that, yeah, it, you know, it's great to hear from them. Um, but that's not enough to uh, sway a decision. Uh, well, what sways a decision is the facts. And, I, I, you know, I, don't, I, I put some credence in, in that kind of uh, lobby, but I don't put a whole lot of credence in it because uh, I understand and appreciate there are other wheels within wheels that have uh, brought them to the table. And I'm going to give you an example. Jackson Square. 
1950s, the Americans, uh, urban planners, even in Canadian planners, thought this is the greatest approach to re- urban renewal. Everyone had to jump in the bandwagon. And at the same time, the chamber and everyone else back in those days jumped on that bandwagon just as they are right now. I took Dr. Longo, who was a chair of Livable uh, Cities, an international uh, organization. We went for a walk on King Street. He looked at Jackson Square, and the first comment he said to me is, when was this built? And I told him it was built in the early 70s. And he said to me, well, this was part of this whole push for urban renewal by planners across North America. In In the States, in the early 60s, they realized it was a complete failure. Yet we built ours 10 years later. So his lesson to me in that little discussion was don't jump on the bandwagon. Make sure you ask the tough questions and do your due diligence. Far too often decisions are made because you get this force of people jumping on a bandwagon trying to sway you in the decision. And that's happened with what happened with Jackson Square. Terry, appreciate the time. Good luck with the vote next Wednesday and uh, enjoy your weekend. Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. The new suite of measures that have been instituted or will be instituted to cool off the hot housing markets in the GTA and Hamilton to the hottest markets in the land. Among other things, a 15% foreign buyer's tax, expanding rent control, allowing the City of Toronto to impose a tax on vacant homes and using surplus lands for affordable housing. A non-resident speculation tax is going to be imposed on buyers in the greater Golden Horseshoe area. Yeah, that includes us. That tax will be imposed on uh, those speculators that are not citizens, permanent residents, or Canadian corporations. Wynn saying that the package of housing measures will make the process of finding a place to live a little easier, a little less frantic, and a whole lot fairer. We have a whole lot of guests to talk about this topic. In about uh, 12 minutes' time or so, we'll talk with Conservative MPP for Nipissing and uh, the PC finance critic Vic Fideli. We'll also touch on uh, maybe more of the impact here in Hamilton with Sarah Mayo from the Social Planning and Research Council of Hamilton and how these measures are going to affect things here in Steeltown. But we'll begin the conversation with a Liberal MPP for Ancaster, Dundas, Flamborough, Westdale, Ted McMeekin, who is joining us here on the Scott Thompson Show. Ted, how are you? I'm great, Rick. How are you doing? Not too bad. Thanks for joining us today. So the, the question of all questions regarding these new measures is, will this work? Well, I sure hope so. Uh, as you may know, in uh, what now seems like a previous lifetime, I was the uh, Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing, and we started a review. We did the uh, coordinated review with David Crombie uh, around uh, land and some other factors, uh, things like inclusive zoning, uh, uh, bylaws for granny suites to increase the supply. And uh, we looked at uh, uh, land that could might be gifted, federal and provincially owned uh, land. Uh, we looked at uh, hard at the uh, at the 1991 um, uh, date uh, with respect to uh, uh, you know uh, tenants who subject to rent control. We have we actually put in place an expert panel to look at that. We heard from a lot of uh, people about it, and so. Uh, you know this. Uh, I think I think they're calling it the Fair Housing Plan is uh, is a, a, a 
suite of uh, some 16 measures uh, that uh, hopefully will help people find a more more affordable place and bring some stability to the the real estate market. So, I mean, you started your comments with you hope so, and I think that's all our hope, but I guess the question is how do we know, or or do we know that these things are going to work? I mean, is there data to back it up to say, yeah, I mean, if we do this, this is going to happen? Well, we have some an- anecdotal evidence in BC when they brought in the uh, the uh, tax for uh, uh, foreign uh, speculation uh, that immediately cooled a very uh, hot market uh, there to the tune of about 11 percent. Uh, you know, we have people who, um, um, you know, are not Canadian citizens, uh, foreign corporations who buy property. In many cases, they leave the properties vacant, so they're denying uh uh, as they speculate, people uh, to even have access to uh, uh, to space that uh, they could be using. So, uh, you know, it, it that particular part worked in uh, British Columbia, and we have uh, so we have some good reason to think it will have some impact uh, impact here. We're also making changes to things like uh, for new home buyers, uh, the uh, land transfer tax rebate will be doubled. Uh, which means there'll be no land transfer tax paid now on the first uh, $368,000 in value of a, of a home they're buying, and money from those who aren't first-time home buyers who uh, are paying a land tra- transfer tax. That money is going to be used to uh, uh, to grease the skids, in a sense, for those who. Uh, want to buy a first home but are hard-pressed to figure out how they're going to do it. Ted, how many how many foreign buyers do we have in the greater Golden Horseshoe area right now? I mean, are, well, we, seeing, are we seeing a lot? Yeah, a fair fair number. It's it's hard hard to estimate because uh, they, uh, they often do what, um, oh, they have a name for it. I think it's called paper flipping, where corporations uh, will buy uh, uh, up... Um, or make an offer on on property, and uh, what they then do is they assign it to somebody else. So it's a way of kind of uh, kind of hedging the market. So there'll be some controls placed on that, which uh, will give us a better uh, better understanding, uh, I think, Rick, of what's uh, what's uh, going to be hap- going to be happening here. And uh, you know, you know, we know it's we know it's a bit of a problem, uh, whether it's as big as in uh, Vancouver. Or not, I don't know. But mm-hmm. um, um, you know, this is fresh off the press today. I've only seen it a couple, myself a couple of hours ago. Although, you know, uh, I've got some fingerprints on a lot of this stuff as former housing minister. But uh, you know, the vacant homes property tax—if you leave it vacant, you're going to pay—you're uh, going to pay money. Some are and, saying, why not? Why not just open up more land, and you'll solve that supply-demand issue? Well, there's lots of land there. Jennifer Kesemet, the chief planner in. Uh, uh, Toronto says land uh, land isn't the problem. The uh, the in fact, if we were to, to say to developers, you've got a year to develop on all the land that's been approved for development, um, starting starting now, go. Uh, you know, we have every reason to believe they probably couldn't do it fast enough. There's all kinds of land there, so it's a so it's a it's a myth. And David Crombie and his uh, study group. Uh, was able to uh, to highlight that for us. There's uh, there's lots of land there. The, the the tricky question for us is what kind of growth do we want to see? You know, we have a a commitment to uh, protecting the things that are sacred, uh, farmlands, uh, 
uh, environmentally sensitive lands. I don't know if you know this, Rick, but the number one contributor to Ontario's gross domestic product is the agri-food industry, huh. 710,000 jobs. And so when we say we want to protect, uh, uh, you know, class one, two, and three ag lands, that that isn't just a nice uh, pie-in-the-sky environmental statement. It's much more than that. It's actually a, an, an economic driver that we need to be aware of and, and protect. So, so, but there's lots of land in the GTHA uh, that can be developed, and uh, and in fact, the development industries, uh, uh, from our understanding, and uh, I, I have meetings all the time with the, uh, the Ontario Home Builders. I think my first three meetings as minister were with them. Uh, very, very good group. Uh, they understand the green belt. They understand the added value that that brings, and they uh, they understand uh, very much that they're doing very, very well at the moment. They're trying hard to keep pace. Ted, appreciate the time today. Good luck with this plan. Okay, thanks. Ted McMeekin, MPP, Ancaster, Dundas, Flamborough, Westdale with the Provincial Liberals. Now we'll fast track to Sarah Mayo, Social Planning and Research Council with the City of Hamilton here. Uh, Sarah, how are you? Good, thank you. So has the province um, get a thumbs up or a thumbs down on these initiatives? This is a really um this is a, a, a really good plan. It doesn't uh, address all the problems with the rental market and, and affordability for people, but it, it's, it really signals that the province wants to do something substantial and not just at the margins. It's a, uh, I, th- I think there's a lot of good news in this. Well, maybe we'll start with what it doesn't address. What has been left out here? Um, some stuff around rental control. Um, it's good that they're um, putting around new um, new units will be subject to rent control. That is really important. Um, but uh, in in Quebec, they have stronger rental protections. They apply to the unit, not just to the tenant. So be so be, uh, after a ten- if a new tenant comes in, they're allowed to find out what the previous rent was and apply to have it uh, brought back to that previous level. Um, uh, and and the landlord can make their case for it should be higher, but there's a process to, and where in Ontario the landlord can charge whatever they want to a new tenant. There's no control at all. And obviously, you're, you're thinking the province missed the boat on that. That's something that should have been enacted here. Yeah, I think that there there maybe there'll be uh, hopefully in the in the uh, you know this has to go through legislation and the hearings that will be brought up as a an, an extra thing that they should consider um, because Quebec has uh, you know has shown that that you can have strong rental protections yet still allow landlords to make money and um, and and be a viable business but um, you know uh, it's really important that housing be seen as primarily. Um, something that is of a value for people and not a vehicle for profit. One of the major points in this 16-point plan is that 15% uh, speculation tax, or foreign buyer tax. Is that going to do anything to alleviate affordable housing in this community or, or across the Golden Horseshoe? Um, it, it certainly could. Um, uh, the uh, you know the rental uh, the 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 housing ownership market is complex and it affects the the rental market and and uh, so there's there's um, I would say that there's a potential that it could have uh, an effect. It certainly um, uh, in Vancouver seemed to have some effect. So so we're hopeful uh, as well here. And I think the provisions around um, really uh, uh, aiming at people who don't live in Ontario and not. Um, is uh, is a good one. Focus a little bit on, on some of the negatives of this plan. Is there one thing that you are really excited about that you think is going to make a yeah. big difference? 
well, you know, there's there's great stuff in terms of um, more funding for building of uh, per, uh, purpose-built rental housing, and um, uh, and that needs to be, you know, really affordable housing, not not luxury units. But one of the things that's minor but really important is a standardized lease. In Quebec, they have that. It's a two-dollar document that you buy in any convenience stores, and it's just a simple document where you you just fill out your name, your landlord, the landlord fills out their name, and you sign it, and it basically sets out all your rights and responsibilities as a tenant and as a landlord. And so everyone's really clear about what they are. And so it's a really useful tool for educating people and, and people to, to take advantage of their rights and not you know have to Google, where are my rights as a tenant? But is that not already spelled out in the Landlord-Tenant Act? Yeah, but you have to Google it. You have to like oh, not, you know find it. This is a document that you get at the start of your lease on day one. And you know what your rights are without having to, you know, it's it's just much easier when it's uh, a, a document that everyone has access to. Makes sense to me. Sarah, thanks for the time today. Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right, joining us now, Vic Fidelli, Conservative MPP for Nipissing, also the PC's finance critic. Vic, how are you? I'm good, Rick. How are you today? Not too bad. Thanks for joining us today. So did the provincial government, did the Kathleen Wynne Liberals hit the bullseye with these measures? <laughs> well, no. I mean, think about it. It's a made in Ontario mess. This was created <laughs> by the Liberal Ontario, by the Liberal government. And uh, their whole solution, like, like with every other problem, is just add more regulations and add more tax to people. Uh, and it does absolutely nothing at all to solve the real root problem. Uh, the, as we see it. So what should be done? What is this the root problem you speak of? Well, first of all, it's the red tape that they piled on. When you think about it, uh, over uh, in, in, in 2011, they put out the Strong Communities Act, uh, and in it, um, they increased uh, wait times, approval times on housing projects. When you think about it, Aurora, 19 months now, Ajax, 19 months, Toronto itself, 17 months, Hamilton, 17 months. I mean, this new plan that they have doesn't even address that. Uh, It could have addressed it, but it didn't. And that's the single biggest problem uh, that we see is the developers are saying, from the time you first buy a piece of property as a developer and to the time your approvals come in, to the time that actually somebody moves in could be uh, uh, decades. What do you make of the 15% foreign buyer tax, the speculation tax, those uh, those measures to uh, make sure that people who are buying homes in the GTA, in Toronto, here in Hamilton, around the Golden Horseshoe, are actually living in them? Well, when you think about, uh, again, the issue, um, it's not clear uh, how much the issue of foreign buyer purchasing uh, affects Ontario. So what you really need to do is, uh, and what we've continued, our leader Patrick Brown and our parties continue to ask for is better data collection and analysis of the housing market. And I think we, as the people of Ontario, we deserve to have what we call evidence-based decision making. And right now, there's no clear understanding, you know, uh, how vacancies uh, are created, what the speculative purchases do, what the foreign home buyer, buyers are having on the market. So um, you need a better understanding, and instead the government just scrambles and they impose yet another tax, and, and they didn't address the problem. Well, you bring up a good point, because we had uh, Liberal MPP for Ancaster, Dundas, Flamborough, Westdale, uh, Ted McMeekin on uh, earlier on this half hour, and you know his first comment was, I, I hope this is going to work. I mean, we have data, uh, but it doesn't sound like he's 100% sure, obviously. Can this plan have um, adverse effects on what's going on? 
Well, sure. It's uh, all these plans that they bring. They have a, a chill on the market. That that that's you know it it, it just adds to the mess. Um, so when you've got uh, the, the the solutions, as they call it, that don't address the red tape and uh, uh, they continue to delay housing and, and raise prices, you know, these are problems the government created, and this doesn't affect anything other than bringing what we'll call a, uh, a chill in the market. When you, you know, you're causing worry in people, you're causing a fear in people, and uh, the fear fuels speculation as well. So it it it, it is absolutely the backward uh, approach to uh, to the problem as we see it. we got a minute left here with Vic Fidelli, Conservative MPP for Nipissing and the PC Finance Critic. Would opening up more land solve this problem? Well, look, uh, what you really need to do, you got to uh, make it clear and, and develop a way better understanding uh, how these uh, uh, issues are, uh, come to be. And it, it, it isn't so much about opening up more land. The developers say they have land that they're working on, but it takes so long to approve. One of the developers told us it takes 16 years, and another told us 20 years from the time you say, hey, that looks like a nice piece of property to buy for a subdivision, to the time the first person could move in could be 16 years. So it's not that they're land banking. They want, they want to get in and out of these properties as well. But when you've got uh, red tape and regulations that that uh, take decades to do uh, property development, th- there's your issue. Vic, wish we had more time, but we're plumb out of it. Thanks for joining us today. Anytime. Great to talk to you, Rick. Take care. Vic Fidelli, Conservative MPP for Nipissing and the Progressive Conservative Party's finance critic. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.